And welcome back to another edition of Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel, and what a homecoming performance from Northwest. That 66-13 beatdown um, of Nebraska Kearney. I don't know that anybody uh, that's not on that team or coaching staff quite saw that coming. I There was some talk before the game, talking to some different people that said, oh, you know, I think it's either going to be a close Kearney win or Northwest could win this in a blowout. But even if you thought it was going to be a blowout, I don't know anybody that thought it would be 48-7 to at halftime. So anyway, there will be lots of breakdown of that game, talk about this week's matchup in Joplin against Missouri Southern. Of course, we'll have all the normal folks on the podcast. John Coffey, the voice of the Bearcats, as we go into the press box. We'll have a view from the other sideline as well. Mike McClure, the voice of the Missouri Southern Lions. Devin Albertson will join me as we talk some MIAA football. Of course, the Bearcats, according to Eli. And Caden Davis, who had that opening kickoff return for a touchdown and and uh, had himself a ball game as well. He'll be joining me in this week's uh, player interview. Have some audio from, from Coach Wright as well. First, I do want to talk about one thing in particular. It was the omission of Bearcat trivia from last week's podcast. I completely forgot about it, to be quite honest with you. So here's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to have an extra trivia question. First, I'm going to give you the answer from the trivia question from two weeks ago. Then I'm going to have another trivia question that we'll have the answer to at the end of this week's podcast, and then we'll go back to the regular. We'll have another trivia question. So the trivia question from a couple of weeks ago was, who was the very first team that Mel Churchma's Northwest Missouri State Bearcats beat in 1995. So his first win is in program history, his first win as Northwest head coach. It was against Southwest Baptist on September 16th, 1995. The Bearcats won 45-13. They actually went on to win three games in a row after losing the first two games of the season. Of course, had that six and five year that, you know, went from 0-11, 6 and 5, and then, you know, the, the train started rolling. I was a little bit disappointed that I left this out of last week. I realized it in post-production. The show had basically all been put together, and then I realized that I left the answer out. I was so proud of myself, and I think I'd even bragged on myself about that trivia question because I didn't know the answer to it, and, and only one of the people that I had asked knew the answer. It was Brandon Meisner. Of course he would know. You know that guy's going to know the answer to probably any trivia question. So anyway, um, this week's trivia question, or the bonus, I guess, trivia question of the week... And the trivia question I was going to use for last week involves homecoming. You know, the Don Black Award, the MVP for the homecoming game from Northwest. Um, I was going to ask a question about underclassmen winning it. Well, that was the last person who was not a senior that won the award was Braden Wright in 2019. Well, then Mike Owens, he goes and wins it also as a sophomore this past week. It was a pretty cool moment. He basically turned around at the on the field during the ceremony, giving the award to his offensive line, which the offensive line did play pretty spectacularly. So instead of that, we'll go with this one. Who was the last defensive player to win the Don Black MVP award. It wasn't that long ago. And your other hint is he was at the game on Saturday. And you probably, you may not know unless you, maybe you saw on social media or or uh, you were on the sidelines, but uh, this particular player was on the sideline for homecoming last week. He's not a member of the 05 team. That's it's, It was a little bit more recent than that, but that's it. Last defensive player who won the Don Black award um, Northwest homecoming, and I'll have the answer at the end of this podcast. 
And now I want to talk about the game, right? Let's talk a little bit about the game. Uh, pretty spectacular. Like I said, 66-13 Northwest, massive statement win. I think Coach Wright said it was probably the best all-around performance uh, since, I think, 2016. I know Devin Albertson from uh, D2Football.com, who we'll hear from later in the show, said it was the best Bearcat performance of the Rich Wright era. I think that's probably true, you know, especially against a really good team. Um, it was just really, really impressive. And, man, the game started out. It couldn't have started out any better. And Junior Gonzalez will kick it off. A high end-overing kick. Amani Donadale fields it at the four-yard line near the right house. They go with a quick reverse pitch left side. Caden Davis. Davis on the left side of the numbers to the 20, 25 to the 30. Sideline to the 40. To midfield at the 45. Down the sideline. 40 to the 30 to the 20. The 15, the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Northwest! By the way, a big thank you to KXCV, to the Bearcat Radio Network, and to John Coffey for allowing me to use these clips in this week's episode of the podcast. I thought it would be kind of something neat, something cool, and what a start to the game it was, really. I mean, that reverse on the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Uh, Nebraska Kearney goes down the field. They were kind of helped, an incomplete pass. They got ruled a fumble. Bearcats know all about that, right, going back to the Missouri Western game. But T.J. Davis picks it up on third down. He picks up the first down. He had an overthrow that was tipped up in the air, and, and Nebraska Kearney uh, receiver downfield catches it, runs it down inside the five-yard line. A couple of plays later, they score. And so a couple of kind of fluky things happened. Um, by the way, Northwest missed the extra point on the opening kickoff. So it's 7-6 after that with Kearney making their extra point. And then the Bearcats. Cats, uh, you know, we, we got a look at Mike Hohensee, and uh, we definitely found out that he is healing up just fine. Watson well, wants to run left side, has some room, and midfield left side to the numbers to the 40, to the 30, down the sideline to the 20, the 15, the 10, the 5, touchdown Northwest! Mike Hohensee on the run, 56 yards for the touchdown, and uh, Matt Tritton, I think Hohensee's ankles might be a bit better. Looked pretty good on that play, didn't he? It's uh, pretty amazing what a quarterback that's not hobbling around can do. Mike Hohensee, I mean, he's he's a gamer. He's a tough kid. There's no doubt about that. And uh, seeing him back at, at full strength, full health, um, was interesting. They talked about maybe rotating the quarterbacks. That didn't happen. It didn't need to happen. They just rode the hot hand with him. He was spectacular. And, uh, you know, the next drive, Carney gets it. They face a fourth and one um, at about their own 36-yard line. They go for it. The Bearcats stuff them. And then uh, a couple of plays later, Al McKellar does this. Two receivers left, one to the right side. Hoansey out of the shotgun. McKellar to his left. Option goes left side. Hoansey with the pitch. McKellar at the hash left side. To the 25. Hash to the 20. To the 15. The 10. The 5. Went to defender. Touchdown, Northwest! You could see the cutback lane. Al McKellar went for it, and then he leaped over a man into the end zone. That I don't know that that's as iconic of a run for McKellar as the one against UCM, where he stiff arms a guy and stood over him. Um, this was not that as, as as dominant of a run as that was, where he's running over guys. But uh, this has got to be one of his longest runs of the season, and was pretty impressive to see him do that. At that point, it's eighteen seven, and it was kind of amazing. Every you know big play. By the way, missed another extra point is why it was eighteen to seven. Pretty disappointing, you know, in in the kicking game. You know, we've had some issues with snaps. Uh, earlier in the year, that seems to be kind of uh, sorted out. But uh, man, Cole Lamel, the the freshman from Omaha, it was it was, you know, it was not easy to watch because you just felt bad for him. And hopefully, they can kind of get that squared away. The kicking game is something that's going to have to be sorted out, no doubt about that. And he's obviously got a great leg, and uh, 
you know, hopefully we'll get some things. Maybe we'll get a field goal or two, um, get lots of extra opportunities to kick extra points here in the next couple of weeks and get that all sorted out before the playoffs roll around. But really, I mean, such a dominant performance. That's about the only thing you could really uh, complain about. Uh, Northwest kept on rolling. Six possessions in the first half, six touchdowns. It's 48-7 to seven at halftime. Carney did come out and score um, in, in the second half with their first drive and forced a Northwest punt. But then after that, Mike Hoensey rounded off his day with a touchdown to Cole Hembro, which was a great one-handed kind of spinning catch that he made. Even uh, Robert Rawi had a nice spin move on a late touchdown uh, late in the game. And the statistics were just pretty doggone impressive. Hoensey and, and basically a couple of drives other than the first half, 14 of 18, 270 yards, three touchdowns. Braden Wright came in, got a little playing time, had a really, really nice throw where he was rolling to his left, kind of had to spin around, wasn't even able to really get his feet set, and threw a laser downfield, 3 of 3, 91 yards. Al McKellar, not a ton of yards, 91 yards on just 17 carries, but four touchdowns, including that 31-yarder. Hoensey, of course, a nice run. The Bearcats run for 244. Carney only running for 61, including negative 17 yards by TJ Davis that that I mean that that bears repeating because that's amazing TJ Davis had negative 17 yards rushing on the day through only his third interception of the season and something about the defense that I'll say too in that defensive backfield they've done some moving around Isaiah Nimmers who I had heard going into the season that he was maybe the best cover corner that Northwest had has been playing safety. Drew Dostal's played his way into the starting lineup and started last week against Northeastern State. He had a heck of a ball game um, on Saturday as well. Not somebody that's going to, uh, you know, I don't know, get a lot of mentions maybe or see a lot of eyes on him. But uh, Drew is, is a really good player. He's been around for a while. He's one of those super seniors. And, uh, it was able. We were able to move Isaiah Nimmers to corner, and he ended up with the one interception of T.J. Davis, and it, and it just seemed to solidify our secondary a little bit. And the secondary looked pretty good as well last week, but you know, better competition for sure um, this past week against Nebraska Kearney. A couple other stats I want to mention, just to kind of wrap up talking about this game. We'll, of course, talk more about it as this podcast goes along. Just how dominant the defense was. Three sacks. 13 tackles for loss. And the amazing thing is Sam Roberts had a couple of tackles, no tackles for loss. I mean, if you think all of those stats, you think he's in the middle of it. And I mean, they ran away from him. They did everything they could. Um, the the linebacking core played unbelievable. Zach Howard had himself a ball game. Elijah Green recovered a fumble, had a sack. Um, just about everybody on that defense just played the, out of their minds. It was, you know, uh, up to our expectations as Bearcat fans, right? Because my goodness, we are spoiled, no doubt about that. But this is the kind of stuff, um, you know, this is a this was a statement game, I think. Just just really impressive. The atmosphere was wonderful. You know, I, I talked a little bit about that, kind of got on my soapbox about that with maybe the atmosphere is sometimes not the greatest. Boy, it was on homecoming. Over 7,500 fans in attendance. And, uh, you know, I highlighted a couple of things going into last week's game. One was turnovers. We did have one. It was kind of muffed punt. The punt was rolling around um, in, in a fumble there, but we forced two turnovers, so we're plus one in that regards. And penalties. We only had three penalties for 25 yards. Carney had four penalties for 37 yards, so we won that battle as well. And uh, just overall, you couldn't have had a better performance, really, other than the kicking game. Boy, you, you know, you think 
I, I can't remember a game ever being a, a team being 0 for 4 in extra points. You know, we ended up going for two several times, and and, um, and, and, and that's certainly disappointing. I mean, I'm telling you, you definitely felt you definitely felt for the kicker. I did. I wanted to go down and you know give the kid a hug, but but you know the coaches will do their thing and and hopefully get that uh, sorted out right here in the next couple of weeks and and you know then all the phases of this team we're we're rocking and rolling and and you know talk about a statement game. I mean th- this is what we wanted to see as fans. This is what I wanted to see from this team. We knew this was there, but this team is just kind of getting healthy and all of the right things are are happening at the right time. Just what a spectacular performance. Well, let's take a quick time out. I do have some audio from Coach Wright that I want to hear and, and play for you coming up next, but we'll take a quick time out. You're listening to Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. Welcome back here on Bleeding Green. It's now time to hear some audio from the media luncheon on Tuesday up in Maryville. A big thank you, by the way, to Chris Roush from KQ2 for sharing his uh, audio from up there with me so I can include that on the podcast this week. Uh, I definitely appreciate that from him for sure. A lot of things that Coach Wright talked about, one of the things he said this game against Nebraska Kearney is probably the most complete performance he's seen since the national title team of 2016. And I told the players that on Monday morning, uh, we played really well, both both offensively and defensively. Uh, uh, Coach Sturdy had him dialed in on the offensive side of the football. We punted two times in the day. Um, you know, we just uh, we were able to exploit them, and it was, you know, it was one of those situations where sometimes when you get somebody down, uh, you have a tendency to take your foot off the gas, and we we really never did. Um, they they played uh, really well all day. I think it was a little bit indicative, um, and Brody mentioned this before, but and I did as well in the post game. It's just being able to have everybody back at practice and being able to, you know, actually rep the things that we were going to do on Saturday was a big help on that side of the ball. Defensively, we knew we had a big challenge. Uh, they're talented on offense. The quarterback is a really unbelievable player. I think everybody's seen it all year. Uh, we were just trying to. You know, one of the things that we try to do with our defensive structure is create little changes that that uh, have big impacts. And we were able to muddy some things up for him, I think, and um, challenge him, uh, try and get the ball out of his hands as much as possible, and uh, seemed to be a, a pretty good cookie recipe for for the day on Saturday. Well, yeah, anyway, you slice it, just a complete performance from the Bearcats, absolutely. One of the things he also talked about was the quarterback situation and that the plan going into that game was to see both quarterbacks play, kind of ride the hot hand. You know, uh, Mike Cohen, see, I think is is probably going to continue to start. Uh, I think he's, you know, kind of played well enough. I, I don't know how you bench him um, at this point in the season, but he, he said that there was the plan for both quarterbacks to get playing time, and, and Mike Mikey was just hot, and and the, you know there wasn't time. The offense was scoring so fast, there wasn't really time to, to rotate or, or think too much about it that way, but this week, both quarterbacks will get to play. He did say that. He didn't commit to anything beyond this week, but I imagine we'll see a pretty good dose of Braden Wright this week as well, and uh, 
you know, I mean, what a great situation for this team to be in. I mean, it's tough for whoever. Um, right now, it's tough for Braden, right? Who who went into the season as a starter? He got hurt. I mean, that's a that's a tough situation. But uh, both guys, strong mental, uh, you know, mentally strong kids. They're both competitors. You know, they both want to start. But everything I've heard is they both support each other one hundred percent. You know, I've had the opportunity to talk to both of them, and uh, they're, they're both great kids and and really good quarterbacks. I think anybody in the league would be happy to see either one of those guys start for their team and probably a lot of playoff teams. Most of the teams in the country be in that same situation as well. So that is something that he talked about that I don't have audio from, but he, he said this week though, is all about how the team responds by playing Missouri Southern after such a statement win of last week against Kearney. When you're playing, you know, another team that's, you know, got one loss and top of the conference and it's homecoming, uh, it's pretty easy to get up for that football game. And, you know, for us, our challenge is and has been to be able to, to sustain that week in and week out. And, you know, that was one of the big questions that I posed to our seniors and upperclassmen is, all right, we, we had what I guess you could say is, is a statement game. What are we going to do to back that up? Because um, in and of itself, one football game doesn't do it for us. Um, how are we going to grow? Um, how are we going to respond this week on the road? Uh, you're going to play against Missouri Southern. It's senior day down there. You know, so for those kids, it's their last opportunity to play at home. And, and what kind of game are we going to bring? Um, you know, for two weeks, I felt like after our loss, um, for two weeks, we, we played to our capability. And the scores, ironically enough, were, were very similar. And I'm not worried about who we're playing. I'm worried about how we play. And so I want to see, can we sustain this back to back to back to back? Because ultimately, that's what's going to create a playoff run if that's what we want to do. And that's the expectation, right? That's, that's what we know as, as Bearcat fans and, and, you know, players, coaches. I mean, players that come here, that's what they want to do. The, the senior class, they've, they've talked about that. You know, these super seniors that came back, that's what they want. Not just a deep playoff run, but a chance to play for a national title. And boy, the team keeps doing what they're doing you know they're uh, you know they're certainly I think can play with anybody in the country and probably beat anybody in the country if we play the way we played last week and still to come here on bleeding green of course we'll go into the press box John Coffey will be joining me get the opponent's view from the other sideline with Mike McClure voice of the Missouri Southern Lions D2Football.com's MIAA columnist Devin Albertson will join me to go around the MIAA. We'll talk about the regional rankings as well. Northwest sitting at number four, and looks like we're having a home playoff game at minimum. I think there's a pretty decent chance Northwest can climb to two, which would potentially give us two home playoff games. You'd avoid a, a second-round matchup with Ferris State, who doesn't look like they're probably going to lose. But still a lot of football to be played these last couple of weeks, and a lot of those GAC teams all play each other, so that's going to be interesting. We'll cover that in detail. Of course, we'll, he'll have uh, MIAA predictions. The Bearcats, according to Eli, a sickly ten-year-old uh, Eli, will be joining me here. Uh, he's a little bit under the weather and kind of a little bit hoarse, but he absolutely wanted to come on, so he's still to come. Of course, your bonus Bearcat trivia question answer, and then another trivia question that I'll have the answer for next week. But right now, it's time to talk to this week's Bearcat player, super senior number thirteen, the guy who uh, ran the opening kickoff back for a touchdown against Nebraska Kearney. It's Caden Davis. And Caden, man, thanks so much for coming on and making some time for me. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, appreciate you having me on. 
Yeah, man. Well, you're from Ellsworth, Kansas, a, a pretty small town out in Kansas. And strangely enough, I, I was doing a little bit of looking up there, the Bearcats also, but kind of interesting. But uh, but pretty small town in, in what kind of central Kansas? Is that where it's located at? Uh, Yeah, right off I-70. So with, you know, with teammates from all different backgrounds, how do you tell the guys that are like from, you know, bigger cities and urban areas, how do you describe to them Ellsworth, Kansas and, and where you from and how, where you're from and how you grew up? Oh, well, coming to Maryville and then coming from El Dorado, Kansas, when I played at Butler, uh, I just tell them it's sort of a similar environment and a lot of questions about how how'd you grow up living like this, but, uh, just more of a simple guy, so that's all I really know. Right. How many? How many were in your graduating class? That's always a question everybody always asks. Uh, I had sixty in my graduating 60. class. All right. I that that probably wins you a lot of contests, right? On who's at the least. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I had uh, nineteen. I'm from Union Star, so a close town. I I usually won most of those when I had you know friends from Kansas City, St. Louis, Omaha, <laughs> that sort of thing. So I'm just always interested to to know that stuff. So what, what kind of sports did you play growing up in Ellsworth? Oh, I played about every sport. I was playing baseball, soccer, football, basketball as a kid. And then once I got to high school, I was just wanted to focus on track, football, and basketball. Were you always fast? Uh, yeah, but when I was in middle school, I was more of a long-distance guy. And then freshman year, I ran the mile in 800. And then come out my sophomore year for track and the track coach wanted me to run the hundred the first track meet of the year and i ended up running a 10-8 breaking the school record and i was like well i guess i'm gonna be a sprinter now so <laughs> was football always your first love uh yeah i've always enjoyed football for sure do you have any uh, fa favorite moments from either football or, or track or anything favorite games or meets or anything when you when you look back at high school I really enjoyed football, like all the practices and games and stuff like that, Friday nights. And then we weren't like, we were decently successful, but we never really made a run in playoffs in high school. But track was always fun because it's an individual sport. I got to kind of lean on myself for success and stuff like that. So. And you were a receiver in high school, and I also hear you punted a little bit too. Yep, uh, punted and kicked kick field goals too. Interesting. So, so coming out of high school, then coming out of Ellsworth, uh, what, what were your prospects like and, and, and why ultimately was, was junior college the route, right for right route for you? Uh, coming out of high school, I really didn't get, like I went to a lot of camps, but as far as like playing small town football and stuff like that, coaches didn't feel like I had enough exposure. So I didn't really have any offers, but Butler recruited me, gave me a scholarship, and got to go there and prove myself. So, when how's that junior college experience different? Than, you know, four year school like Northwest, just the experience one, and then two, the kind of guys that you're around that are that are also playing football. I'd just say the talent level is extremely high in the junior college level, and then come to Northwest and everything. It just feels a little more organized when you got guys who've been here for four or five, six years, seeing the way things been ran versus guys who come through a program one for one or maybe even two years max, two, three years. 
so coming out of Butler, then what were your prospects like? You know, what kind of schools were you getting recruited by? Uh, coming out of Butler, I was getting recruited by like like D one schools and stuff like that. But I really only had walk on offer to KUK State, and when I was getting recruited by Northwest, uh, they were able to give me a full ride and stuff. So. Uh, came on a visit, really enjoyed it, and really enjoyed the guys and stuff. Liked all the traditional stuff, the culture here, so decided to come here. Yeah, and, and being a small town, I mean, did that did that help it as well, you know, kind of you being from a small town? Uh, yeah, that helped a little bit. All right, so what's your, I got to ask you, off the field, what's your degree, and, and then what are your plans after uh, after graduation? Uh, leaving Butler, I was like more of a, I was a sports management guy when I got here. That's what I was planning on doing, but they didn't have the degree at the time. So ended up going corporate recreation and wellness. And that's what I'm doing now. So. And what are your, what are your kind of plans? I mean, I know you're, you know, in the middle of football now, but, but have you thought about, you know, kind of what your plans are after school? Uh, so if I finish up this season, good and stuff i think i want to keep trying to play football and stuff try to get to that next level but uh if that don't work out then figure something out in the recreation field maybe like some sort of recreation programming league and stuff like that for sports all right perfect all right so i got kind of six questions here i like to call this the pick six Caden. just kind of six uh kind of a few of them are just kind of goofy questions are you are you ready Oh yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> All right. For first off, are you a superstitious guy? Do you have any superstitions or game day rituals that you do each week? Uh, I would say I am a little superstitious. I definitely, I've definitely always worn black cleats. I don't know what it is about black cleats, but I just like wearing those on game day. I'll practice in white cleats, but I'm wearing black on game day. All right, perfect. Do you have a favorite uh, question too? Do you have a favorite place on campus? Uh, favorite what? A favorite place, uh, like a location on campus. Uh, yeah, uh, the locker room for sure. You can see all my guys there. Yeah, but bonus question, then, what's your favorite part of the new locker room? Uh, I just say, uh. We call it the grand, the grand space, and uh, we got two PlayStation 5s in there and a Xbox Series S, so that's definitely the favorite place to be. Nice, nice. What? Uh, so there's lots of, you know, we, we see as fans, there's always, always lots of uniform combinations. Do you have a favorite uh, uniform combination that you guys play in? Definitely the green, green top with the white bottoms, let's see. All right. Now, when I interviewed Monty Donadell, I asked him who who the fastest guy was, and he said that you were right up there. Who, who, in your opinion, who's the fastest guy on the team? Oh, it's me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right. Question five in the pick six: What's the last TV show that you binge watched? Uh, I say Law Law and Order, Organized Crime. I've been watching that. All right, fair enough. And last question here, it, it's a little more on the serious note. So if, once your playing days are over, is there, what, what would you like people to remember about about Caden Davis? 
Uh, I just say I want them to remember a guy who was always trying to do his job, do the right thing, and uh, he left it all out there. He didn't leave nothing left back. All right, perfect. Well, Caden, that's all I've got for you, buddy. I appreciate your time, and best of luck to you the rest of the season. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That's number 13, super senior, fastest guy on the team, not just according to himself, but according to Imani Donadell and other guys, which I'll be honest, I didn't know. I just assumed Imani was when I talked to him a few weeks ago, and and then I kind of learned. I was like, oh, Caden's really fast, and yeah, his track background and everything else. So anyway, appreciate his time coming on the podcast here. Now let's uh, let's keep it with the Bearcats and go into the press box. John Coffey, the voice of the Bearcats on KXCV and the Bearcat Radio Network, joining me. And, and John, boy, what a performance by the Bearcats from uh, from Saturday. Uh, I, I would call it a championship-level performance. Oh, it really was. I think that was the performance that uh, a lot of people were waiting for out of this team. And uh, I think a lot of it just stems from the fact that uh, uh, some key guys are getting healthy at the right time here. They've been kind of beat up all year long, even in some spots that – got some guys playing but uh, haven't uh but they're if they would have had a, a choice probably would set out at some games but uh, again they got some guys getting healthy and uh, it really made a huge difference yeah well first you got to talk about the MIAA offensive player of the week mike hoancy and of course won the don black award for player of the game i mean in uh, you know he, efficiency's kind of been been Mikey's thing all year, and that was the thing once again. You know, 14 of 18, 270 yards, three touchdowns. But the thing I think that caught everybody's eye, including uh, Carney's defense, was when he took off for that long touchdown run and showed that that, that ankle looks a whole lot better than it did. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. I think they were looking at each other and thought, oh, my, he's, he's we're in for it now with uh, that kind of run he had for that touchdown. So uh, I think that's huge. And, and uh, on their postgame, uh, Rich really alluded to just how severe that ankle injury was and how he really shouldn't have been playing at all, especially going into that Missouri Western game. But uh, uh, he just kind of persevered through uh, a lot of the pain and uh, uh, played, uh, I think, really, when you consider going the type of injury he had, played very well even those games when he wasn't healthy at all and should have been on, on the sideline. And now that he's uh, healthy, just kind of showed uh, what he can do with uh, uh, an ability to run like he did on that one and others. So it just gives Northwest a few more options uh, for the uh, uh, other defenses to uh, have to uh, take in consideration in the scheming against the Bearcats. Oh, yeah, and Coach Wright, too, talked about you know how much that is just limited play calling and things, too, and I think showing pretty much that the whole the whole playbook was out there and open, no restrictions, and, boy, it made, made a big difference for, for everybody offensively. Oh, it really did, and even his uh, passing game. I mean, he figured that it's hard to plant and they, uh, get a lot on your throws if uh, you just can't get that plant foot down and uh, set up to uh, with a solid base to make throws. So, I mean, he even affected his passing game as well as his running game. Yeah, well, and it all started, you know, with the, with the kickoff return, kind of that reverse on the opening kickoff for Caden Davis, and took off down the sideline. And and uh, but I'd heard, you know, that he's the fastest guy on the team. Multiple people had told me that, including himself. And uh, you know, and, and boy, he, he showed that he he took off, and that was what a way, especially you know, with the with seventy five hundred plus people in attendance, it's homecoming. What a way to to start to get the crowd and everything else going. It really got things off to a good start. And it's kind of funny that last Thursday we had uh, Caden on our uh, show with the Rich Wright. And we talked a little bit about his uh, track and field days in high school and just uh, how 
the type of uh, speed he had as a, a track athlete, and he was able to put that to uh, good uh, use on uh, Saturday with that run back, and it just kind of, I think, set the tone for the entire day. It really did. Well, he's talking about Caden. So I had Amani Donadell on the, on the podcast here a few weeks ago, and I had asked him who the second fastest guy on the team was. I just assumed he was the fastest guy, and he said, oh, no, it's Caden. He's the fastest guy on the team, and Caden's on this week, and and we talk about that, too. That's uh, uh, pretty, <laughs> you know, pretty impressive. But, of course, we can't talk about you know, the offense without talking about the defense. T.J. Davis hold him to negative 17 rushing yards for the game, only 61 yards rushing on like 41 attempts for Carney. Three sacks for the Northwest defense, 13 tackles for loss. They couldn't have had much better performance. Oh, uh, no. And I, they just did, uh, I think, everything and more that was the coaching staff expected on going into that game. And, uh, boy, the linebackers had a lot of fun in that one. Brody Buck and Jackson Barnes made some uh, very big hits. And there were a couple times where Brody was kind of trailing on the play when they were optioning the, the other direction. And when uh, uh, TJ decided to turn and go back the other way, he ran just head on right into Brody. <laughs> and it just sandwiched him. I mean, it was just uh, those were some uh, – a fun place to watch and uh, Bearcats just really had a great game plan and uh, sh- shut down what has been a very good offense this season. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's funny. It, it kind of goes back, you know, a few years since we've really seen a, a performance like that. It, it almost reminds me of, you know, back in, what was it? 14, 15, maybe 16 when Emporia, you know, was a pretty good team and they were nationally ranked and things, but every time we played them, you know, even though they were clearly the second best team in the league, you know, we would take care of business and, and I don't know, you know, I don't, is this a national title team? I don't know, but I think there, there's definitely that potential now. And, and yeah, you talked about a lot of us fans, this is the type of performance that we wanted to see and what, what an atmosphere and everything else. Just a, just a great game. Yeah. And again, you want to be peaking at this time of year. And I think that they definitely are. We've got a couple of games left on the regular schedule and uh, uh, you look at the, the last week too it just it was really a must win and maybe i guess you could say a, a playoff game to the standpoint that that uh, a loss on saturday might have kept them out of the uh, playoffs the way things are looking in the regional rankings so uh, that was a big game from that aspect a big game from the fact that uh, if you take care of business and, and again uh, you got to take care of business through the last couple of games too if you do that, uh, you've got a conference title. So, uh, again, there, there's a lot of things that were on the line last uh, Saturday, and uh, Northwest really checked all the boxes in that win. Sure. Yeah, well, Coach Wright talked about, you know, the playoffs kind of started after that after that Washburn loss, and, it, and it's true, and, that, and it keeps going, although, you know, we'll definitely be favored these last two games. you gotta, you got to go out and win, and if they do that, it definitely looks like we've got a home playoff game and maybe – um, maybe a couple of home playoff games, depending on how um, you know how things shake out. But of course, the matchup this weekend: Northwest traveling down to Joplin, down to Missouri Southern, and this Southern team, although you know maybe they they've lost a little bit of the the luster that everybody kind of thought due to that loss, um, kind of heavy loss to to uh, Missouri Western last weekend. Still, this is a different kind of team. You know, Coach Bradley down there, he's a Southern guy, and uh, you know they they play really hard. I think that's that's the thing that. You know, although, yes, Northwest is favored, they should win this game comfortably. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's it's just going to be an easy game. Southern isn't seeming to roll over like some of those lower teams that, that we've seen in the past in the MIAA. 
No, and they've got a fairly young team at some key spots that I think they're going to keep getting better here in the next uh, couple of years. And I think the thing you touched on is uh, they play hard from the opening kickoff to the very end. And, you know, you're going to have to uh, to answer that uh, in uh, respect of well, similar to Northeastern State, where Northeastern State uh, a couple of weeks ago, you could tell that uh, they kind of turned a corner as far as the effort they give out on the field on the think that's the case with Missouri Southern and I think this Missouri Southern team is a more talented team than what Northeastern State is although you go back to week two I'm sure Missouri Southern's kicking themselves after that 21-17 loss to Northeastern State that's probably one game that they really wish they had back but uh but uh, they have some uh, some pretty uh, skilled players at some positions, but again, they're very young and uh, growing. So I, I think it's a really uh, a program that's on the upswing. But uh, again, with just three wins this year, we're a team that's still trying to find their footing. Yeah, and it's and it's the long, you know, it's 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 the road trip down there, of course, for uh, for Northwest as well. But um, you know, they got a pretty decent young quarterback, and and defensively, I think they have the the only second to Northwest, the second best pass defense in the league. Now, I think you know Northwest is is pretty balanced, and that that's the thing I think we saw last week. Although, yes, Alma Keller had his four rushing touchdowns. You know, we we threw the ball a lot. It kind of reminded me of that first half against Central, a little bit, where he just came out and kind of you know just kind of you know let the game dictate play calling and and we've talked about you know Rich, coach Wright's talked about that coach Sturdy has talked about that and I think you know the, the true balance of this team definitely helps whether you go up a team that's strong gets the run or pass or need to um you know need to kind of change on the fly this team you know seems to seems to be at a place health-wise where we can we can pretty much handle that it is fun to watch the balance attack that Northwest has offensively. I think that when you look at Missouri Southern defensively, one of the things that might uh, skew their uh, passing totals is there have been a couple games where uh, their opponents have been uh, kind of uh, up on them where they're probably just running out the clock and keeping the ball on the ground just to get the games over with. So I don't know. There might be some teams that haven't passed as much against them as they would in a, an ordinary type of game. But uh, still, I, I think they have been made some, making some strides on the defensive side. Yeah, absolutely ought to be ought to be a great time well john i as always buddy i appreciate you coming on with me and and uh we'll we'll know a little bit more next week and hopefully be talking and setting up a big uh, senior day matchup with emporia and talking about a big win against southern all right hopefully that's the case there he is longtime voice of the bearcats john coffee joining me here as he does each and every week on bleeding green as we go into the press box i want to say a special thank you again to john to kxcv and to the bearcat radio network for letting me use some of his and Matt's calls from the game on Saturday in the intro to this show. That was uh, cool cool of them to do that, and I definitely appreciate that. I thought I added a little something special here to the podcast. Well, let's take a break. We'll get the view from the other sideline next. Mike McClure, voice of the Lions, joins me coming up here on Bleeding Green.
Welcome back here on Bleeding Green. It's time to have a view from the other sideline now. Glad to be joined by the Missouri Southern uh, Voice of the Lions, Mike McClure. And uh, Mike, thanks so much for uh, making some time for me and coming on to talk about the Lions. Matt, you're very well. Hope you're doing well today. Yeah, very, very much. Thank you so. Thank you so much. Well, kind of a you know big change for you guys. You get from Joplin, Southern alum, Atiba Bradley comes in. You know, he coached at Southern before. He brings some Division One coaching experience as well. And and really, it's kind of been you know pretty exciting for you know at least I'm sure it is down there. It has been kind of seeing this team grow because I think. You know, although three and six may not sound, you know, all that sexy or look that impressive. I mean, really, this team seems to be majorly improved from 2019. You can just see the improvement week by week by week. A really nice road win at Central Oklahoma on September 17th, and then the road win at Lincoln October 9th, and then to back that up with a home win over Central Missouri by two points. That they've really been in every game but the Nebraska Carney game. Even the Missouri Western game was pretty close at one point last week. But they're just playing so much better on the defensive end and not getting blown out like they used to for the last several years. Well, and you know that that was one of the things I paid a lot more attention this year to to media day on all of the teams, kind of with with the birth of this podcast and things, and kind of listening to him talk about you know wanting to change the culture and things. How much does it help that he understands you know the struggles that that Southern fights you know in in the shadow of of Pitt State, where maybe there's more Pitt fans in Joplin than there are Southern fans, and and kind of knowing some of those challenges and things to to come in there and run the program. Well, just. It's just a hundred percent different attitude as far as the the positivity and you know being more involved in the community and getting out recruiting local kids and you know, not having to go to, to neighboring schools. He, he, it's one building block at a time, one day at a time. As far as what he wants, to, you know, one percent better every day is what he keeps preaching in practice. And it's just his attitude. His assistant coaches have bought in, and the players have obviously bought in. He, you know, it's senior day on Saturday at Missouri Southern. He said, you know, even though he's been around these seniors for just one year, he's gotten really close to a lot of them. And some of these seniors have been in, you know, this is maybe their third different head coach since they've been at MSSU. So he, he's a great relationship builder. I'll just start with that, and then he just very positive person. Well, the, and you talk about talk about Southern, you know, the senior day. Well, this is a pretty young team overall. Lots, lots of good young players, and like you said, you you've been they've been in just about every game other than the Carney game, and heck, even you you throw out the Hayes game too. I mean, they've been in every game until you know in, into the fourth quarter of mm-hmm. all of these games. Is is it just the attitude of of them playing harder or not giving up, not rolling over? There are they just hard, more hard nosed? Oh, maybe limiting the amount of mistakes defensively, maybe you know, the number of missed tackles or maybe making fewer penalties defensively, just the little things that you know add up in a football game, maybe offensively making more catches instead of drop passes. It's just trying to eliminate both the physical mistakes and the mental mistakes on both sides of the football that have probably helps you know, their one-loss record more than anything else this year. Well, and you talk about limiting mistakes. As I was looking through the s- stats, only six turnovers for the Missouri Southern offense so far this season, which is pretty amazing, really. Um, got a great young quarterback who kind of has some ties up up my way. Um, mm-hmm. Dawson Hurl from William Christman and Independence. He's had back-to-back 300-yard games. Talk about his development as this season's gone along. He's done a marvelous job as a, as a redshirt freshman. Doesn't necessarily throw a big, deep ball, but a pretty accurate throw around 60% completion rate. And again, just limiting the amount of interceptions he's thrown this year has been a huge asset to this offensive team, the way they move the ball up and down the field. And it's been really neat as a broadcaster to watch his progression 
week by week by week and realize this guy's going to be around campus for you know three more year, three more years after this one. Yeah, well, he's got a great target in Brian Boyd Jr., who who is one of those seniors that you talked about in top five in yards per game in the MIAA. But also running back, you, you talked about local kids and young guys. Running back Nathan Glades, who's fourth in yards a game in the MIAA, a freshman from Joplin. So that's a big get. He is a huge get. He had a tremendous high school career at Joplin and, again, just became attached to, to Coach Bradley when the recruiting process started, when, when he became on board. And he's having a wonderful freshman year. We've got pretty good depth at running back. We've got another freshman, Jeremy Brown from Kansas City. It's got some nice rushes this year. Got a couple of older players in Taylor Thomas and Josh Mercer that I anticipate will be able to play on Saturday. Both missed the game last week because of injuries. But just a really nice depth at running back that they probably haven't had in a while. And then the depth at receiver as well. You mentioned Brian Boyd Jr., Jaden Stoshak, who's a sophomore out of Jacksonville, Florida, has had a good year at receiver. We're beginning to see the development of Jermichael Cooper, who's a redshirt freshman out of Houston, Texas. He's got great speed, and we're finding out how good of hands he's got. And to me, Southern still has one of the best tight ends in the MIAA in Keandre Bledsoe. Well, and then you talked about defense. I mean, I think that's been the big difference that's probably kept them in all of the ball games this season, and and some good youth as well. Uh, Dylan Bolden, the sophomore uh, corner, he's tied for or he's got second second in the MIAA with five interceptions, second in pass breakups, um, and then of course Richard Jordan Jr. We know how good he is, and it seems like he's been at Southern for a really long time. He's only a junior here. Four forced fumbles. He's among the leader among the leaders in sacks, tackles for losses, tackles. I mean that both of those guys have really stepped up and, and been difference makers. Yeah, Dylan's had five interceptions, returned two of those for touchdowns, but the, the three linebackers are the heart and soul of the Missouri Southern defense. You mentioned Richard Jordan Jr., whose dad is in the Missouri Southern Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, Colton Winder, who's from nearby Carthage, Missouri, has had a tremendous sophomore year after having a really good freshman year. And then Coleman Booker, who is from East Newton High School, not a big high school Oh, about 20, 25 miles south and east of Joplin, but he's become a really good linebacker. Got to see him play in high school. And again, Richard Jordan Jr., Coleman Booker, Colton Wander, uh, you know, I just keep saying that they, they are the heart and soul of this Missouri Southern defense. Well, and special teams pretty good as well. Kicker Nick Williams, he's he's been pretty good among. I think he's tied for the or, or second maybe in the MIAA in field goals made, although a couple of kind of key missed ones in the second half last week. But he's he's kind of a do it all guy transfer from Missouri State. And so, uh, any other you know any other guys I'm missing or guys that Bearcat fans maybe should should uh, take note of. No, Nick Williams, he's the kicker and the punter. You know, you can look at the field goal thing two ways. Yeah, he's made a bunch of field goals, but that also means the Lions have had to settle for field goals once they get inside the red zone. And I know last week in particular got the ball down to the one-yard line and couldn't punch it in. And I mean, in this league, you've got to score seven instead of three at every opportunity you get. You know, it's nice to know that Nick's going to make most of those field goals, but at the same time, well, offensively, you've got to punch the ball into the end zone. Well, uh, yeah, let's go back to that game because the game against Missouri Western, I mean, look at the final score and think, okay, you know, maybe it, it wasn't that close of a game, but as I, you know, 45-28, but I, you know, as I was kind of going through, it was 17-14 at half. It was mm-hmm. it was a 10-point game and they had opportunity to, to close in, you know, closer than that in the in late in the third quarter, um, you know, and, and, and that's the thing, I guess, as you look at this is, is you know, it's Southern, okay, didn't win the game, but, you know, thinking about, you know, baby steps and growth of the program, and it, it seems like, you know, the Southern's a lot tougher matchup than they've been in the past. Yeah, it was 31-21 when Missouri Western went up 38-21 early fourth quarter. They had a nine-play, 89-yard scoring drive, and they were 
I don't remember the play exactly, but a chance for Southern to get get a turnover, didn't come up with it, and Missouri Western ends up scoring. In that ballgame, Nick Williams missed a couple of field goals, so just momentum killers when you can't get the job done on that side and can't put points on the board. But two teams, I would say, pretty similar as far as Missouri Southern, Missouri Western, as far as frustrations. I think both have anticipated maybe having more than three wins at this time of year. But, you know, give Missouri Western credit. They did enough things to, to get a 17-point win in Joplin last week. Well, and then what, what's the, you know, what's the out, out the mindset, I guess, going into a matchup against, against a Northwest, right? Who's, who's always at the, seemingly at the top of the league and amongst the leaders, you know, in the nation, 24 consecutive games that Northwest is, is beaten Southern. How, how does the coaching staff approach a game like this? Well, it's a challenge and you have to embrace the challenge, the, the challenge of getting your team ready to play a, you know, number six ranked team in the country, the challenge of having to overcome what Northwest does so well offensively and what Northwest does so well defensively. I mean, when you're the, the number one te- team in the nation in third down conversions at 57%, Northwest the number two nation team nationally in rushing defense, second nationally in scoring defense, second nationally in fewest touchdowns allowed, that, that's a challenge that Southern just needs to embrace. All, all the pressures on Northwest Missouri to try to get a win and you know increase their ranking in the central region, but for the seniors especially from Missouri Southern Owners, their last time to play at Fred Hughes State, and they, they have to embrace this challenge and win the little battles in this game that can perhaps lead to you know something crazy happening in the fourth quarter on Saturday afternoon. Who knows? Well, what's what's you know with kind of you know Missouri Southern being more competitive this year? What's what's the feeling around Joplin around this team? Is there excitement? Um, are people kind of taking notice? I've noticed attendances, you know. Seem seem okay, you know they're they're not uh, down there. I mean, is is there excitement in the community around this team and what the future holds? Oh, it's palpable, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> there is buzz around the town that hasn't been there in quite a long time. There's buzz in the outside the area about people talking about Missouri Southern. There's buzz around the MIAA, just talking to other you know radio broadcasters and stuff. You know, the week we play them, they're like, holy moly, what's what's going on down in Joplin? All of a sudden, they're competitive. They're you know staying in some ball games that they used to get blown out in. So not only are they noticing around Joplin, but they're noticing around all the other cities in the MIAA. Well, it's something that we talk here. I have uh, MIAA columnist from D2Football.com, Devin Albertson, on with me, and we talk. We kind of go around the league and talk, and and you know that's one been one of the things that I've taken notice of is is Southern, and and I think it's it's exciting, and, and we draw some parallels maybe to to. Pitt State Southern, as we do to Northwest Mo West up here, where where you know Joplin is similar to St. Joe, where the, the hometown team maybe doesn't have the alumni base and mm-hmm. the fans that you know the team up the road that that has you know more of a winning tradition and things, and so um, you know th- that's interesting to kind of see you know see how that develops and it's um, you know where where Missouri Western's kind of the little brother, Southern's kind of the same thing um, down your guys' way, and it, it's just interesting. It, it is kind of exciting to see. Um, you know, to see them improve and, and, and doing better, performing well, well. Yeah, just go back to when Mel Churchman took over at Northwest. I mean, they weren't a very good football program, but under Coach Churchman, they, they, they became a great football program. They became the, oh goodness, the, the blueprint, if you will, for how to be successful in the MIAA. And literally every team in the MIAA is trying to duplicate what Northwest Missouri has. And I talked to Atiba about that you know, a couple of times this week. And it's like, you know, you don't really know how good you are until you play the the best team or the best teams in the league. And 
we'll see how much improvement Southern's had. It's been a long time since they've defeated Northwest. You mentioned the Bearcats have won 24 games in a row over Missouri Southern. Lions' last win over the Bearcats was 1994. So let's face it, most of these kids, you know, probably weren't even born yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, and it's interesting too, you know, when you talk about a blueprint to do really well, you look at Nebraska Kearney and okay, yes, they had a very disappointing game in, in Maryville last weekend, but, but really what coach Lynn there has done, I think is maybe shown kind of, of, of a blueprint modern day. I think maybe mm-hmm. the MIAA wasn't as solid in, in the nineties. And I think coach church might be one of the first people to say that it was Pitt and kind of everybody else. And uh, you know, the MIAA se- seems to be a, a a pretty tough league right now, even if you look and, and, and I don't know, you know, we do this pick them here and, and, uh, you know, each week it's, uh, you know, get a little bit surprised with, with seems like anybody can about rise up and, and beat anybody. And I think that probably just makes it even tougher to, tr- you know, to try to establish yourself and, and go, you know, and, and go from, you know, the bottom to the middle to, to the top of the league. The thing that coach Lynn has done at Nebraska Kearney is retain his student athletes, retain his football players. And I know COVID had a lot to do with this, but I know in week one when, when Southern played them in their game notes, I, I think the number was like 36, 37, 38. I'll just say 36. 36 players, seniors, if you will, had four years or more of playing experience at Nebraska Kearney. That, that's a lot of football players that are, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old going up, you know, when you've got that experience going up against, say, some freshmen and sophomores from these opposing teams. That's a big advantage that Nebraska Kearney had this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, I sure appreciate you making some time and, and coming on with me. And, and uh, you know, it's kind of exciting to see what's happening down there in Joplin. And and uh, we'll look forward to see seeing what happens this weekend. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And that's voice of the Missouri Southern Lions, Mike McClure, joining me here on Bleeding Green. Still to come, more Bearcat trivia. The answer for this week's bonus question, including the question for next week's episode, in which I'll have the answer. The Bearcats, according to Eli, coming up. And we'll talk MIAA next with Devin Albertson here on Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football.
And welcome back here on Bleeding Green. It's time to talk MIAA, go around the conference with Devin Albertson, D2Football.com. We were both, Devin, up in Maryville over the uh, weekend. And my goodness, what a uh, what a performance by the Bearcats on Saturday. Yeah, um, that was one of the deals where Northwest was firing on all cinder, cylinders besides the extra point game. Other than that, they were just about perfect there on Saturday. I mean, to start the game off with the kickoff return for a touchdown, the little reverse from Donadell to Davis was uh, really kind of brought everyone to their feet there in the stadium and kind of really brought the energy up for the entire game. And actually, I was down on the sideline before that open kickoff, standing in the end zone that Northwest was running into. And John Walker, who's the um, reporter there for the Northwest Missourian, came up to me and John Dykstra, who works for the Daily Forum. He's like, you know what? I'm feeling a big return here. I'm like, okay, John. I'm like, if this happens, I'll give you all the credit in the world. And then Davis comes screaming down the sideline into the end zone right in front of us. And <laughs> we're all over there. Myself, John Dykstra and him, and Coach Mack was sitting there too, basketball coach. And we were all like, John, I don't know how you could predict that, but it was a great start. And then uh, everything besides the extra points went really well from then on out. We saw Hohensee uh, look healthy for the first time in about a month. And what a difference that made. I mean, he was um, at full speed on the touchdown run from 56 yards down. He was looked explosive there, um, looked explosive celebrating afterwards, kind of deal the same place as Mel Churchman on that one. And he's like, okay, don't hurt yourself celebrating the sideline. It was kind of fun to listen to Mel over the sideline. And we both kind of looked at each other. Yeah, he's healthy now, so that's going to be fun. And they just were firing all cylinders on offense, and that Bearcat defense just does what they do. I mean, they locked down the Carney rushing attack, but I didn't know that was possible this year with them averaging 270-yard rushing per game coming in a day, and they didn't even get close to 100. So that was just so dang impressed by Northwest, just start from finish, the best game of the Rich Wright era so far. Absolutely, yeah. Three sacks and 13 tackles for loss by the Northwest defense, only 61 yards rushing for Carney. Yeah, that that all of that, if you, if you knew those stats going into the game, you would probably say that was going to be a pretty, pretty big uh, Bearcat win for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it was 61 yards on 41 attempts. Like, they ran the ball for a yard and a half of carry, and it wasn't like in a couple they had a couple of decent runs in the second half if the Northwest was up by 40, or else it wouldn't have been even that much because they were just absolutely stifling them. Uh, Carney likes to run a little bit of those delayed um, kind of auction plays at the edges, and they just were not – the speed of Northwest defense was just too good, and they were very gap sound, even when Davis – versus other teams may cut back across the grain and there'd be a guy either like Sam Phillips or Brody Buck or Volstad or Barnes just be there just to eat him up. And it was just a very impressive um, team unit there for Northwest across the board. Everyone knows how good Zach Howard and Sam Roberts are. And Elijah Green's played really well, had a fumble recovery there. Noah Williams was back. And just that whole D-line <clears throat> just plays so well. It makes the back seven look really good because they can run free and use that speed they have over there. And for the first time in the last couple of years, Someone forced T.J. Davis to be a pocket passer, and that's not his strength. I mean, he's playing left hand at that point, and they heard to try to force things. The Northwest, the offense clicked so well. I mean, there was guys open, and it wasn't just because they were beating their guys. It's because Coach Sturdy had an amazing game plan. He was – the route combinations they were using to get sides open, either in the middle of the field or even up the sideline a couple times with Tatum and Donadell was just very impressive with the schematics they were doing with it, and it was very creative. And you got to give him credit. I know at times we maybe not like the play call, but he was he had an A-plus game there on Saturday, and you got to give him credit for that. And Hohensee was on one. He played 
fantastic. I don't, you can't be much more efficient than he was in that first half. Oh, hundred percent. And and I think that just shows, you know, the the um the potential of this offense with a healthy Mike Owensy, you know, and and you guys had Coach Wright on your on your Sunday evening show for yep. D2Football.com and and you know, he talked about, you know, basically, you know, Mike didn't practice until last week. He wasn't practicing during the week and and you know, it was re- it was obviously affecting the play calling and a lot of different things. And, you know, there there was besides that touchdown run, there were a couple of times too where he stepped up kind of you know broke containment from the pocket kept his eyes downfield hit a couple of guys there and just you know those types of things I think are are you know what can make at least from what us fans see right make this team a an MIAA champion to to a national title contender I mean I think that's what this team went out and said on Saturday oh yeah for sure and I think it was playing the first quarter Owens had a little bit of pressure in his face, and he kind of went out of the back of the pocket, reset his feet, and hit uh, Davis for a little comeback right near the sideline near the northwest bench. That was I was right there in front of it. I'm like, wow, that's that's not an easy throw if you have a bum ankle. And he was able to set his feet and fire it with confidence. You just you could tell that moment kind of deal. Okay, he's got his feet back underneath him, and he's playing with confidence that we saw back in the Central Missouri game and the UCO game before he got hurt, kind of deal. And you're like, okay, this is the Mike Owens that we all kind of saw when he first came into the lineup, that it could make a big difference for this offense. And I get Carney's defense isn't great. They're not great in the back end. They've been able to kind of force teams to play their style of football most of the year. But Northwest able to exploit that. I mean, they had 600 yards of offense at 10 yards of play there on Saturday. It was just an absolute clinic. Braden Wright got in later in the game, was able to get a few snaps in. And we've went for, I'm not sure how long now, and haven't even mentioned that Alan McKellar had four rushing touchdowns for the 15th time in school history that's happened. And joining guys like, you know, Xavier Omar and Laurent Council, guys like that, no big deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> afterthought right now uh, because of how well the receivers and Hoensey played. And that, oh, it also was like off the line. They played fantastic. Carney really struggled to get any push in the passing game or stopping the running game. So credit to the old line because all the SEAL guys were able to eat there on Saturday. Absolutely. Well, we got a lot of other games to talk about as well. Down in uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, Pitt State getting a 26-20 kind of hard-fought win over UCO. They were up. 26 to 3 at the end of the th- or 26 to 7 rather Pitt was at the end of the third quarter UCO um you know scored you know scored some points to make it a little bit closer scored a couple of touchdowns but the interesting thing is I was looking through the box score of this game was UCO had eight first downs in the game they had 23 yards rushing they had two really long touchdown passes but other than that um they they didn't do you know a whole lot offensively, although it ended up kind of being a close game. And the thing about Pitt, I think that's so interesting is is they're not um, you know they're not necessarily winning with style points, but this team you know I think they were kind of a wild card going into the season. And I think you know with their coach right, they're really kind of showing um, showing something, and they just seem to kind of grind games out and, and get wins. Oh yeah, I think they're a year ahead of schedule. I mean, I get last year was his first year technically, and they had a couple of games with the COVID shortened season, everything like that. This is your first true season to the MIAA, and I think most people down in Pitt were kind of okay. Let's see how this year goes, kind of build for 2022, and they're kind of on the scene a year early because they were up at halftime at Northwest, a couple scores. They were up at halftime versus Nebraska Carney, a couple scores. The second half, they kind of fell apart in both those games. You saw them fall apart a little bit in the fourth quarter, and this one allowing a big pass play. So you have to learn how to win these games sometimes with a new staff kind of deal and learning how to put teams away early in the amount of blanks. You don't. They can. They have this talent to come back a little bit. Calhoun still has a good arm there for UCO. He's able to get that long touchdown, turn the fourth, and make things very interesting there. Um, But Pitt State, 
I like the way they played this year. Um, even after the Northwest game, Northwest escaped with a win there because Pitt State outplayed Northwest for three and a half quarters in that game. Northwest is lucky to get a win there. That's why I think we'll get to it later. But Northwest, that Pitt versus Washburn this week is going to be a heck of a football game. It should be really exciting. Those are two really good football teams. I think Pitt, there's a year ahead of schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this game even was in the balance pretty late. Pitt had a fourth down, lined up to punt with uh, like two and a half minutes to go, and UCO had a penalty, gives Pitt the first down, then they run out the clock. So, um, But again, they find a way and, and get a win. And, and uh, you know, Emporia is another team that's kind of in the, in the you know, the next tier down, right? They go to Hayes, get a big win. They're, they score two touchdowns, all 15 of their points, and a 15-12 win in the last four minutes of the game. Um we talked last week, Devin, when I had you on about, oh, yeah, you know, the the passing, two best passing teams in the MIAA. We've got a couple of great quarterbacks going to light it up. Um, Gleason had 170 yards passing. Chance Fuller had 148. The teams combined for more rushing yards than they did passing yards, so I guess it shows shows what I know, huh? Yeah, we don't know a whole lot sometimes, but we do know one thing. Emporia State's going to play in a close game no matter what, so you can enjoy that. And uh, We both had a trouble picking – with and against Fort Hayes all year because they've been such a roller coaster of a team. It's hard to get a uh, put a finger down on them where they're actually at as a football team. Um, they're four and five now, and they have a few really close, tough losses to teams like Emporia and Missouri Western and teams like the UCO that they probably should have won. They're probably a two-loss team if they win those games, but they didn't. Um, it's kind of weird to see them at this point, four and five. We've gotten used to Fort Hayes being a really good football team, and I think they're still they're a good team. They're just Losing these little close games, didn't lose in the past. And Emporia State, I mean, we've talked about it all year with them. It's either going to be an onside kick or a late touchdown or something's going to swing it one way or the other for that team. And um, we'll see them in a couple weeks when they uh, come to Maryville to play regular season finale. They try to play spoiler a little bit. They've been really good in that role this year. I mean, they almost beat Carney a few weeks ago, and they've just been a thorn in everyone's side in conference play. Uh, they're trying to get a win this week to get above 500 and then try to upset Northwest in a couple weeks. So Emporia – they're they're playing well. I mean, they're just kind of a tough team to put away. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Washburn, you talk about talked about Pitt and, and Washburn a big make matchup this week and Washburn their homecoming, thirty five nothing win over Northeastern State. We saw Mitch Schurig, he played just the first quarter, but he had one hundred twelve yards, a couple of touchdowns. So then he sat the rest of the game. It was Washburn, Washburn's first shutout since twenty thirteen. That's seventy three games, and they got a shutout. So anyway, that was a good feel good game for them. You know, the, both. Um, you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about this game other than just, you know, a pretty complete Washburn win. But when you talk about Washburn and Penn, I mean, both of those teams are, are coming into this weekend's game, you know, playing pretty well. Yeah, for sure. Washburn did what you're supposed to do versus Northeastern State. I mean, Northeastern couldn't move the ball at all. They had 143 yards of total offense in that game, 87 passing, 56 rushing. Uh, just not good for them. And it was almost 550 yards for Washburn. Washburn can move the football. We saw that a few weeks ago. They're really physical up front. So I wasn't surprised they shut out Northeastern. Northwest did, except for the pick six kind of deals. So Northeastern just has no pop with their offense. And it's kind of tough to play a Washburn team like this late in the year for Northeastern. And Washburn, a nice little tune-up game for them to get ready for Pitt State. As I said earlier, Pitt State kind of avoided the trap game with UCL. So both teams going with two losses. I know Washburn's ranked in the regional rankings. I'm sure Pitt State is like the first team out. I think they're right in that area, right at 11-12. So it's an elimination game this upcoming Saturday for those two teams. Yeah, absolutely. Well, another big game was in St. Joe this past weekend, and it was the only thing that kept me from going six and zero in the pick'em. Is I, is I went Southern. I guess I should have went uh, should have went Missouri Western uh, in that game. At Western getting a forty five twenty eight 
um, victory. It was 17-14 a half, pretty close game. Southern had some opportunities later in the third to kind of keep it a little bit closer. But Reagan Jones, man, I think Missouri Western's kind of settled on him as their quarterback of the future. He was he was definitely the dual threat quarterback of the week. 181 yards passing, a touchdown, a buck 59 on the ground, and three scores. Um, Western ran for 412 yards. I think that's probably what they want to do with Reagan Jones in there and and you know, Western has been, you know, especially their offense has been kind of a mess uh, lately. They really bounced back with a with a good win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Western can win the game. Say, hey, Missouri Southern has a really good pass defense. Eh, screw the pass. We're gonna run all over them, kind of deal. Like we're not even gonna deal with messing with the secondary too much. Try to figure out shots here or there. I know Cooper Burton had a nice game for them on the outside. I think three for ninety for a touchdown. Um, but yeah, they said, screw it, we're going to run at you. And Jones, he's a fast quarterback, I and mean, he's got some bursts to him. So I think they kind of attacked Missouri Southern that way. Missouri Southern just gave up too many big game, big plays in the running game. I mean, you're seeing a 56-yard run by Jones, a bunch of 10- to 15-yard runs by everybody else kind of deal. There's too many gash plays that really hurt them on defense. So I was kind of buying into the Missouri Southern a little bit, thinking, hey, they're trying to turn things around a little bit on defense, but then they, they just couldn't stop the run versus Missouri Western. And as good as your pass defense is, if you can't stop a nosebleed in the running game, you have to win games, you get up seven and a half yards of carry. That's like Mizzou's defense. You're just not going to win very many games doing that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about teams that can't stop the run. We're talking about Lincoln and uh, U, uh, UCM with a big solid 77-35 win. It wasn't even – that final score sounds like – um, maybe a little bit more impressive on Lincoln's part than it was. It was 63-14 at halftime, which is pretty amazing. Lincoln had five turnovers. Um, you know, UCM passed all over the place. I got to see their young uh, young quarterback case that everybody's talking about. Um, and and uh, just, you know, I don't know what else there is to say, but just a, a solid win, a, a game that UCM has to win, and maybe they get some confidence here as they, um, you know, go to Missouri Western here this week. Yeah, for Lincoln, the one silver lining, you didn't allow a 300-yard rushing this week. He's only 124, so that's a, a step in the right direction for Lincoln. I mean, you give up 400 yards passing, but I mean, uh, they're just not a very good football team right now. I was up in the press box at halftime of the Northwest game. Okay, what's going on around the nation, around MIAA and uh, UCM's football? Probably my Twitter, oh, it's 63-14 at halftime. That Good, don't pay attention to that game the rest of the day. Kind of deal. Like it's, that game's over, UCM gets a good win, and kind of gets on with their season. Um Lincoln, they're 0 8. They're not going to win the next two games, I don't think. No matter who they're playing, kind of deal in conference. They're just, they're just a complete step below everybody else. And they got Emporia and Western. So they're probably not winning either one of those games. They're just a step away or three in the MIAA from competing right now. It's kind of tough to, you don't want like to see that because you want to see competitive games every week. And it's just kind of a buzzkill. You know that one of the six games every week is going to be kind of blah because they're playing somebody who actually has a pulse. <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's the, the the frustrating thing, I think, is is, you know, Southern has definitely showed promise. Right. right. Northeastern has even won a couple of games. You know, they they've shown a little bit of promise as well, as, even though, you know, lately they've kind of slacked off. But they're, you know, their strength, you know, the teams they're playing have been a lot better, too, than how their season started. But Lincoln is just not other than that game against what a one one point loss against Northeastern State. Um you know, yeah, mm -hmm. they just haven't even been in ball games, and it, it is it is kind of sad. It's not what we like to see, but but the strange thing about all that is is that game getting canceled 
where Northwest didn't play them earlier in the season. We thought, I thought maybe it was a, it was a bad thing, you know, that you don't get some young guys in to get reps and things like that. It's going to end up helping Northwest strength the schedule. And I want to talk to you about the, the regional rankings here at the end, but um, you know, it's could some could be something that helps Northwest. So, um, so I guess as bad as Lincoln is, maybe it, maybe it'll help the Bearcats here. Yeah, it'd be the one good thing if they brought it to Northwest that just didn't play him this year. <laughs> it helps their single schedule. Then take that winless team off your um, numbers for your committee and everything. Helps out a little bit. So, Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the Week 10 uh, games. Northwest, of course, going to Joplin to take on Missouri Southern. An improved Southern team, although maybe not as high on them after that loss to, to Western last week. They have a good pass defense. Maybe Northwest won't even need um, need to pass. I, I don't I don't know. I don't imagine it'll uh, affect uh, Northwest play calling as, as well as the Bearcats are playing right now. Um, you know, but this Southern team is going to play hard. That's the thing that they've been doing. They don't just roll over, you know, as, as we've seen, you know, in, in years past. And, um, but all that being said, I think, you know, the Bearcats are getting ready for the playoffs and Northwest should win this one pretty comfortably. Yeah. They shouldn't have too many issues here. Southern, they've had some struggles this year scoring the football and that's going to just be magnified against the Northwest defense and the Northwest. Um, as long as they have, you can't have a letdown game. They play you so well versus Nebraska Carney. You cannot have a letdown game the next week. I'm sure Coach Rich Wright is going to have them rearing and ready to go. Like, hey, we're still only four in the regional rankings. I know we mentioned on the Sunday night show we had on D2 football was, hey, every game for us after the Washburn game was a playoff game. We have to win to stay in kind of deal. And this is no different. Even with just Missouri Southern, you have to treat it like it's Pitt State or Washburn or playing Missouri Western Road. One of those teams, you got to view it in the same way. Because uh, it's my double A still. I mean, teams are still pretty talented, even teams like Missouri Southern. So as much as I think most of those pass defense is pretty good, I think they might overcommit to the running game and the Northwest can get them over the top a few times, um, like they did versus Carney. Because everyone knows you have to stop Alan McKellar and now Hohenzi from pulling the ball as well. So you got to be close to the box to kind of stop the running game for Northwest. It's kind of the bread and butter. But they're good enough on the outside with Donadale, Davis. Um, also, Alec Tatum is always open. I'm not sure how someone that small is always wide open on the football field. It makes no sense. But it's like, oh, they need a big third down. Well, Tatum's open over the middle for some reason. No one's near him. Cool. So every time they just have some talented receivers out there. You saw um, Trayvon Alexander catch a touchdown last week. He looked pretty good out there as well. And um, Jamar Moya has given him a little uh, pop out of the backfield as well. He's been a really fun player the last couple of weeks as well. So they have weapons galore. They shouldn't have much issues with Missouri Southern. Yeah, well, the the game of the week is is down in Pittsburgh. Washburn going down to Pitt. You know, Mitch Schurg looks like he's back. Uh, that could boost Washburn's chances. Um, but again, you know, Pitt just has this grittiness. There's something about them where they just keep winning games. I think this is, you know, tight game. You could go either way. I maybe give Pitt the, the slight edge just because they're at home. But obviously, the team that loses is out of the playoff picture. If Pitt wins, they probably jump up and maybe take Washburn's spot in the regional rankings. And Washburn, it just helps them. Um, definitely against those, you know, the the GAC teams, GAC teams. But um, this is as, as big of a matchup as there is this week. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm going to try to go down the jungle this week and actually you'll watch this game in person because um, as much as I, like, personified myself loving the passing attack, loving high-scoring offense, there's also something special about two really physical teams up front. 
just bashing each other for three for four quarters for three hours um, on a football field. And that's what I think is going to happen here. I think you got two really good lines. I know we said earlier in the year Washburn has maybe the second best D line in the conference behind Northwest. Well, Pitt State might have the biggest offensive. They're massive up front. So I want to see just those two kind of battle for four quarters and see how that kind of goes. And Pitt State's a great environment down there. I think it should be a really fun crowd there on a Saturday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Um, so I can't wait to see what happens down there between Washburn and Pitt. I'm thinking Pitt in a low-scoring game, like 24-21, which obviously means one of these teams is going to be up 45 nothing after the first quarter, like Northwest against Kearney. Right. Something like 24-20, and then Northwest had 48 points in the first half. Like, okay, never mind. Yeah, well, then uh, Missouri Western hosting UCM. Kind of a big game for these these two teams and, you know, what is, you know, their, their season is, is uh, you know, kind of over. The, I don't know, you know, Western's still playing. They have Lincoln the last week, so they win this game. They're pretty much assuring themselves a winning record on the season, but still still massively disappointing, uh, um, you know, seasons for both of these teams. But Western just seems maybe like they're playing a little bit better right now. They they can run the ball. UCM can't stop the run. Reagan Jones, maybe, I think maybe they found something with him. He's enough of a dual-threat quarterback. Um, you know, maybe I, I think this will probably has probably has the potential to be a pretty close game. We might see lots of points. I don't know. When I thought that last week, it was a low-scoring game. So who knows what's going to happen? Yes, yeah, so obviously six-three final. Um, <laughs> yes. I, 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 I'm thirty-one twenty-seven. Um, Missouri Western in this one. I know I've been kind of down in them last month. Maybe they showed something last week. UCM. Uh, the minute they start doing something good on offense or defense, that unit falls apart the next week kind of deal. And they both played okay there against Lincoln. Uh, the offense played really well. The defense, second half, gave a few points up there. But, I mean, it's a blowout. Things happen with that kind of deal. I'm just – Missouri – Central Missouri just isn't very good this year. And it's kind of weird to see. I think they lose this game. And I think Missouri Western claws their way back into a weird 500 season there for them. So, I got Missouri Western, but not a whole lot of confidence in this pick and this one because there's two teams that are just so um, Jekyll and high each and every week. Yeah, well, and the, the best example of that's probably Hayes, right? We just talked about them. They're just, you know, kind of seem to you know, flip-flop back and forth. They uh, travel to Tahlequah, take on Northeastern State. Hayes has lost three or four, but I think they don't lose this game. Um, you know, and, and they're gearing up for a they, – well, they have a chance to play spoiler, too. They've got Pitt in the season finale at home out in Hayes. So, um, you know, I think even if they overlook Northeastern State a little bit, this is a game they should definitely win. Yeah, and we saw that happens when they play some – uh, lower level teams earlier this year when they played Lincoln and Missouri Southern in weeks three and four and got uh, big wins there. I know Missouri Southern's improved, but they're kind of in that same still elk at that period. And I just think Northeastern State offensively is struggling so much to move the ball at this point that I can't trust them at all in this one. I got uh, Fort Hayes winning fairly comfortably, 38 to 10, just somewhere in that range where Fort Hayes starts to look like that team we saw. It's like four weeks too late for them at this point. But I mean, then they get a big win here um, and try to gear up to maybe. Play in-state uh, upset there with Pitt State in Week 11. Well, Emporia, it's senior day for them welcoming Lincoln in, but I, I could imagine the young guys seeing a lot of playing time in this one, even though it is senior day. Gleason and company, I think, are they're going to be primed for a big day, score lots of points, um, you know, and, and get a big blowout win. And, and with a win, they'll ensure themselves, uh, even if they lose to Northwest, a 6-5 and five season. Absolutely. I think Emporia wins this one. Um, I'm going like 42-3. I think somewhere in that range, Emporia's going to put a lot of points on the board. And Lincoln just not very good. And Emporia has a solid defense. I know they have a knack of giving up some big plays here and there all year. But uh, they still fly around there on the side of the ball. And Lincoln, they're just not very good. So 42-3.
And then the an intriguing of a matchup as there is, you know, I think, uh, you know, Washburn at Pitt game of the week, maybe, um, you know, the, the second game of the week. I don't know, maybe the most intriguing matchup as far as playoffs go. You and you and Kay Carney's got to go down to central Oklahoma. And I think, um, you know, how how they bounce back is really going to show, you know, that's a pretty demoralizing loss um, for Carney. And I think T.J. Davis and and Carney really need to bounce back. The, you know, they've got to win out if if they're going to the playoffs. They still have that head to head over Pitt and Washburn. So uh-huh. so if if the MIAA is only a two bid league or if they are a two bid league, period, then, you know, Carney assures themselves a playoff spot. They got to keep winning and um I don't know. UCO is a good team. I think they have one of the better D lines and D- and defenses in general. But their defensive line is pretty good. They're pretty deep there. Um, I expect. I, I still think Carney's a good team. I think you know we're we're always you know we always have the the knee jerk reaction of oh my gosh we see something and then this is this is what this team is. I I don't think last week is is really who Carney is. I think they're still a good team, but they've got to go out and prove it. And this is not a gimme game. I I think this is a, I I take Carney in a close one. Yeah, I am too. And just if you look at um, UCO, the, the entire year kind of deal for them and what they've allowed. I mean, you allowed 20 to Missouri Washington opener, 31 to Emporia in week two on the road, and they lost that game. But still, Emporia, a good offense. But after that, uh, 14 points to Missouri Southern in the loss. They only allowed 14 points in that game. They had held Northwest to seven points in that first half before that uh, Hail Mary before the half. They were playing really well versus the Bearcats. Their offense just couldn't do anything, so they really were kind of like helpless there on defense because they were kept put in bad situations by the offense. But after that, they were able to roll Lincoln, only 9-14. They only really allowed 22 points to Washburn. That was a scoop and score late um, by the offense. I mean, they played really good defense the last few weeks, only allowed Pitt to score 26. They're going to hang right around there and, um, we saw what happens this past week. If that D line can contain Davis and not let him just run free of the secondary and the linebackers, he's much easier to contain that way. It's much easier said than done. I realize that Northwest is a clinic of how to stop a running quarterback last week. But I think UCO, they're also kind of fighting for their coach to kind of a little bit and maybe want him to stick around and get a couple of big wins here down the stretch. And beating Carney and knocking on the playoffs would be a huge win for them uh, so far this year. Um, I like UCO to make, keep us closer, allowing 23 points per game this year. Only thing with, that keeps me from picking them, they're not very good offensively. I mean, they just they're hit or miss on offense. They're going to be physical, but they just struggle to score points at some at times. And Carney, uh, they're going to score points against most teams in the MIAA. So I think Carney wins this game 31-28, kind of a grind out game, they escape kind of deal, and kind of get the feedback underneath them going towards the playoff push for Carney. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, speaking of playoff push, let's go ahead and talk about the regional rankings. Look at Super Regional 3. Super Region 3, there's, you know, with the, you know, Northwest bumps up to 4. Um, you've got Kearney just out at 8. But uh, 6 and 7, Washita Baptist and Henderson State, they play each other here the last week of the season. They both have tough matchups this week against teams mm-hmm. with winning records. Um, Grand Valley, I think, you know, there's a decent possibility that their strength of schedule takes a little bit of hit, and they're going to play a one less D2 game than even Northwest, it looks like. So, And then Harding is playing, I think, a couple of teams with a combined three wins on the season the last two weeks of the season. So... You know, you've got Washburn sitting there at ten. I, I you know, like we said, I think um, them and Pitt. You know, some somebody comes in there. I think, you know, depending on what happens in the GAC, it's really going to drive what happens pretty much below Northwest. I think 
I don't know. What, what do you think about this? Because here's what I think. I think Northwest wins these last two games. Um, and I think they have a decent shot to be the number two seed in the region, which would guarantee you, you know, you don't get the bye, but I don't think, you, you know, with Ferris undefeated, I don't think they're going to be beaten. But, you know, you at least have the opportunity to play two home playoff games before you'd have to go to Ferris. Do you think Northwest can climb up to two? I think there's a chance uh, to get the two. It does seem like the community is very high on the GAC at this point. I mean, even having uh, Southeastern over, over Washburn, that 9-10 was kind of telling there as well that they really like the GAC schools um, with that. So it's very interesting. I know um, Ink Blonde, who does a lot of stuff that we use in the D2 show on Saturday nights, and he posted in there on the forum there at D2Football.com that uh, all the math and stuff like that, he was kind of perplexed with that as well. And he thinks the community is just very high in the Great American Conference this year. Um, so it might be hard for them to get to that two seed. If they can get to the three seed, though, and kind of overtake Grand Valley, and if you're looking – and this is the good thing about D2, you got to look at teams in, outside your region sometimes because Grand Valley did play uh, Colorado State Pueblo, who's really helping their schedule right now. Pueblo has a really tough game this week where if they were to lose, it would hurt Grand Valley's strength of schedule a little bit. I think it might be enough to get Northwest over them to that three spot because they have um, – Colorado Mines and Western Colorado last two weeks, two uh, possible playoff teams over there, um, Super Region number four. So if you're looking at Grand Valley, they're one able to win out to get them a really good three-loss team there, keep them high in their team of schedule. Because if they follow five losses, despite them being a good team still, it hurts their numbers a lot. So it's kind of look at there. Um, also with Lindenwood, I don't think they have a chance to bounce back over Northwest in the rankings, but teams like Angelo State and Finley are affecting their strength of schedule as well, and they have tough games in the stretch as well. So there's some games out of region that may be out of mind for most some people that are very important for this region with strength of schedule arguments to see how it kind of goes and how the numbers kind of shape up at the end of the year. But I think the MIAA is a too big league. I think Carney does get in if they win out, uh, just because I think the GAC schools, there's going to be – multiple two losses kind of deal that's just kind of put them in the little middle ground and i think if that happens you've got to take i think one of the MIAA teams with you there in one of the GAC schools and kind of go in from there that's that's where i'm kind of looking at it um there'll be a six or seven seed i believe depending on what happens there with henderson and washington over the last two weeks and southeastern still hanging around there as is pitt state so there's a chance we have five or six two lost teams buying for two spots and at that point good luck to see what the committee is going to do with that and who they're going to accept and not go into the playoffs at this point. But I think right now, Ferris, they're locked for the one seed. Harding, Northwest, and Grand Valley are going to be in the playoffs for those top four. And I think Lindenwood, their schedule is pretty easy on the stretch. They're going to be in as well. So just for those last two spots. And as of right now, if you're Northwest, the way the traveling thing would work, you'd play Henderson State in the first round at this point. That's a pretty interesting matchup, a team that you haven't seen a whole lot of. Um, I think it's very kind of intriguing going forward. Yeah, well, you talked about southeastern Oklahoma. They travel to Washita, so it's nine versus seven this week. Um, Henderson takes on Oklahoma, a uh, Oklahoma Baptist, who's six and three, so they're they're a decent team there. And then Henderson and um, and Washita play each other next week. So, I mean, if if you're somebody that you know likes to burn ants with a magnifying glass and you love chaos, and uh, you know there could be a lot of it. That that would be pretty interesting. I I would. It's going to be interesting if you have a bunch of two lost teams vying for those, you know, spots. How, how the committee approaches, yeah. How, what do you say? You know, how do you look at the GAC versus the MIAA? I mean, I think those of us 
in within the MIAA. Um, think the MIAA is is down overall. Um, you know, Northwest maybe you know put themselves back up there. There were maybe they're not down as much as we as we thought. You know, maybe the injuries were affecting things more. But it's de- definitely going to be interesting. The thing about Carney, I really would love to see them in the playoffs because I think they're going to be a really tough matchup for anybody. I understand. You know, not everybody has the personnel, and, and you know, of Northwest or they don't have a rich right on defense to scheme things. Um, I think watching TJ Davis and and Nebraska Kearney in the playoffs could be fun. I'm not saying they're going to go, you know, go on any run or anything like that, but, but uh, yeah, yeah, we've, it's interesting. We've got some big games to watch out, you know, within, you know, the conference and also kind of within the region here, the last couple of weeks of the season. Oh yeah, for sure. I think Kearney is a really tough matchup for everyone besides Northwest Ferris and Grand Valley who had the D-lines to kind of contain them a little bit. But other than that, I mean, Harding, I know they're playing really well this year, but Harding's a team that I think Carney can kind of play with and kind of match their physicality up front a bit and just make them chase after T.J. Davis. It's going to be a really fun match. I think Harding's a good team this year, but playing that triple option is kind of a hit or miss in the playoffs sometimes with how that kind of goes. But Henderson, Washita, teams like that, Lindenwood, I'm not scared of at all in the playoffs. I know they're undefeated in D2 play kind of deal in the region, but it's it's still the G, uh, GLVC there until they can prove they can go deep in the playoffs. I know UND had a couple of um, okay runs where they would still fall, run to somebody and lose by 15, 20 points in the second round if they, even they won a playoff game. So it's hard to trust anybody out of that conference because it's just not a very good football conference. Uh, more of a basketball and some other conferences, other sports are better at, just not football. Um, so, I mean, right now, if you're Northwest, you want to get to that three seed so you can try to be on the opposite of the bracket of Ferris and kind of avoid – a trip over to Michigan or maybe even two trips to Michigan, stay away from Grand Valley as well, um, and maybe get a couple of home games at Bearcat. And You get home games at Northwest in the playoffs, you, you expect to win those games at that point because you're playing at home, all the history, you're going to be favored in those games, even if you have to play a rematch versus a Carney or say a Washburn sneaks in there, you have to play them in the first round, whatever it may be, you still have the advantage there being Northwest at that point. The name kind of, I know the name doesn't matter, but it still does matter in the back of people's minds a little bit with going into those games and just perceptions. So Northwest, they're in a great spot, and they're peaking at, peaking at the right time. They're playing their best football in our late October going into November. That's where you want to be playing it. I know Rich Wright's pretty excited. They're talking about the D2 show and where his defense at and where his offense is progressing. I think they're very confident going the last week, month of the season that they're going to be in a good shape to go. Well, sure. and, and, and looking at this region, I mean, the one team – that worries me, I guess, is Ferris, right? They don't scare me. I don't think they're as good as 19, and I think we're better than we were in 19. Now, I'm mm-hmm. not saying we go up there and, and get a win automatically, but, um, you know, if, if we can't make it to the two line, mm, I mean, Grand Valley's a good team. Harding's a good team. Neither one of those scare me if we have to go play there. I mean, obviously, listen, if you're Northwest, you know, you've got such an amazing home record in the playoffs historically that's where you want to be at you know basically we don't we don't lose playoff games in Maryville and so um you know but uh but the matchup I want I want Ferris you know as a fan I want Northwest to play Ferris and you know what it's going to be in Ferris and that's fine um you know we'll go to Big Rapids and and uh and we'll see what happens but anyway a lot a lot of stuff to talk about and we'll talk we'll see what happens this weekend Devin and I'll and we'll uh, I'll have you back on next week and we'll have I'm sure more to talk about in the MIAA and we'll see where the regional rankings are at yeah for sure and it's not that you don't want to play North, uh grand valley you, if you just if you can you want to push off those top matchups till later in the playoffs and maybe see if someone can upset a ferris i know 
Harding um, did a couple of years ago. I think it was 2018, I believe, where they went to Ferris and actually won and made it the state, made the um, semifinals kind of deal. That was kind of a surprise. Maybe you could see them pull something off like that off again because Harding's a weird team to play for most teams because most teams aren't ready or just aren't usually have to stop the option like Northwest is has been in the past. So, I mean, they're just you'd rather see them try to slip up versus somebody else first, and maybe you get. If you're the two seed, they slip up versus somebody else. You get a host of the region. That's so much more valuable than trying to go to Grand Valley and to Ferris. So even if you say they get the four seed still, they have to go to Ferris. Say they upset Ferris, you come back home, you have to go back over to Grand Valley the next week. That's not a whole lot of fun. No, um, but Northwest in the past has done it in 05. You had the podcast with Church of the Road Dogs. They were able to do it. So it's not impossible. You're just kind of looking for the – path of the, of the least resistance going forward with it and um either way northwest defense travels it just does so northwest they're gonna be in every game they play in the playoffs because that defense is so good i think so and hopefully we can just keep winning that will make me happy that's miaa columnist from d2football.com devin albertson joining me as he does each and every week here on bleeding green i appreciate his time he also does a really great job with eight-man football as well he's worth a uh, follow on social media you can check him out and then follow all the good stuff that he does and of course go check out his column at d2football.com and uh, see what he's got for power rankings and he'll talk regional rankings and all that good stuff and always appreciate him coming on and helping me kind of break down the conference and it's always fun now as we get close to the playoffs when we've got regional rankings to talk about. Well, speaking of the MIAA, it's time for the Bearcats, according to Eli. My celebrity guest each and every week is my 10-year-old son, Eli Daniel, joining me. He's a little bit under the weather this week. You, you can hear it in his voice. He's a little bit, uh, it doesn't have his normal energy. But uh, Eli, are you ready to do this thing, man? You had a heck of a week last week. You ready to uh, do a little predicting? Yep, and I'm going to get them all right again. All right, Eli's got a little bit of a cold and kind of hoarse, but he's he's a trooper. He's all uh, he he's all about it. Yeah, he went. S- so here we go, Eli. Let's look back at last week. You went six and zero. Oh, I went five and one. You picked Missouri Western over Southern, which was the decider. Other than that, um, you know, we had all of the same picks. So yeah, how do you feel about going six and zero oh last week? Good. All right, you ready to ready to do this for this week? Yep. Well, first, I guess, first before we get to picking, how was that uh, Northwest homecoming game last week? We beat their butt. We did. That was pretty impressive, right? Started off with a kickoff return for a touchdown, and it was uh, it was a pretty exciting game, huh, for, for Bearcat fans anyway. Yeah, sorry, Nebraska fans. That's just it's real sad for you guys. <laughs> you got to go down on the field after the game and talk to your favorite Bearcat, right? Yep. Yep, number 50, Brody Buck, he had himself a heck of a ball game. Yeah, he did awesome. All right, all right. Well, you ready to predict? You ready to do this? Yeah. All right, let's do it. All right, so we're going to bring the bring the uh, MIAA schedule up here on the screen. First game we'll talk about, of course, is the Bearcats Northwest traveling to Joplin to take on Missouri Southern. What do you think uh, for a score on that one? Uh, 36 to 14. All right, not too far off from what I've got. I'm guessing Bearcats, right? Yeah, no way. <laughs> yeah, no way. Nice. 45-10 uh, Bearcats is what I've got in this one. Could be bigger. I don't know. I'm interested to see if we can if we can really shift it into overdrive and, and as we kind of get in playoff mode. All right, probably the game of the week, though, in the MIAA is Washburn at Pitt. 
two teams fighting for playoff hopes, although they're, you know, unless Nebraska Kearney slips up, they're probably going to miss out on that, but definitely fighting for third place. Who do you got, the Ichabons or the Gorillas? Well, obviously, Pittsburgh's going to win. Why do you say obviously? Because uh, Pittsburgh is a really, really good team. I understand that, but Washburn beat us and Pittsburgh didn't. So, I mean, there, there's that, right? Yeah, but we were just really tired. We didn't have good sleep last night. None of the players did. <laughs> Against Washburn? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't get enough sleep. Well, there you go. That was that was what happened in that game. All right, so you're going to go with Pitt. I'm picking Pitt, too, by the way. I'm just giving you a hard time. What's your uh, What's your score in this one? 32 to 6. 30 to 6? Six. Sorry, 7 to 6. <laughs> 7 to 6? Is that what you're going to go with? Is that your final answer? I mean, not 7 to 6. 30 to 7. 30 to 7. Okay. That's in, that's interesting. Obviously going pit. I think it's a much closer game than that. Um, I go 24-20 pit. I think it's going to be a good game. Mitch Schurig is back for Washburn. He played some last week against Lincoln. That'll be interesting to see. All right. Then we've got UCM, the Mules, uh, take traveling to Missouri Western to uh, to take on the Griffins and St. Joe. Who you got in that one, Eli? Uh, I don't know. Mm, Central. Are you going to go with the Mules? What do you think for a score then? 28-24. 28-24. I think it's a pretty good game. I think this could be uh, game of the week, um, you know, as, as far as a good close game. I think there's three games that have the potential to be really, really close games. This is the second one of those. I'll go Western 42-41. Uh, Western with me is kind of like Hayes. Just about every time I pick them and trust them. Then they then they lose. So we'll see. I think that you know it's kind of a battle of disappointing teams. Western can pretty much assure themselves a uh, winning record since they have Lincoln next week with a win here. All right. Speaking of the team I don't trust, Fort Hayes State traveling to Tahlequah, Oklahoma to take on Northeastern State. Who you got there? I'm gonna say Fort Hayes State, but I know they're gonna lose. So you guys can't get mad. I'm guessing that, but I want Fort Hayes to win. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I would be shocked if Hayes loses this game. That would that would be crazy. Although they've not been great, Northeastern State's not that good either. So Hayes is not a bad pick. What do you think for a score? 24-14. 24-14. I don't know that it'll – I don't quite think it'll be that close. 33-14 is what I'm going with, and I think I probably have the least margin of victory of, uh, of than a lot of people, but we'll see on that one. Lincoln – is traveling to Emporia at Senior Day and taking on Emporia State. Um, I, I'm guessing. Are you gonna Are you gonna go and pick Lincoln this week or no? Sorry, Lincoln, but if you're a fan, uh, I feel really bad for you guys. The if you're a fan of Lincoln, then you are a heck of a fan. That's for sure. All right, so you're going Emporia. What do you got for a score? Thirty-two seven. 32-7. to seven. That's the same margin of victory that you picked Emporia over Hayes last week. I think 56-7. That's what I'm going to go with, with Emporia in this one. And, of course, Emporia comes to Maryville next week, so that'll be an interesting matchup. Emporia seems to play close games every week, but I don't think this week's going to be one of those. All right, last game of the week, nebraska Kearney. They have to rebound from a less-than-ideal performance in Maryville, traveling down to Edmond, Oklahoma, taking on Central Oklahoma. You gonna go with Carney or, or UCO in this one? 
Oklahoma. I'm kidding. Nebraska Carney's going to win. All right. What do you think for a score? 28-21. Pretty good. I think this will be a good game. I think this is a tough matchup for Carney, but... You know, if Carney wants a shot in the playoffs, which I think if they win out, win these last two games, they're probably in. At least they got a real good chance. I say 31-27, Carney. It's going to be a close game. Like I said, UCO's got the defense, I think, maybe to cause them some problems. But I'm, I'm, I, I still believe Carney's a good team, and I think they're going to bounce back. Well, there we go, Eli. You feeling good about this week's picks? Yeah, we both got the same ones. I know we did. So, so we'll we'll live to get live to get. Oh no, UCM Western. So that's, that's that we had one different one last week, and then we've got one one different pick this week. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. All right, what what are you gonna say as we wrap up? Uh, you guys are still forgetting this. You guys need to remember the Bearcats are green. There he is. That's my son Eli with the Bearcats, according to Eli. A little bit under the weather this week, but he was not going to be denied. He was going to do the podcast, and and uh, he was not going to skip out uh, this week. The show must go on, and and there he is, my celebrity guest, each and every week. Well, as we get ready to wrap things up here on this week's episode, it is time for the bonus answer, the bonus question, trivia question this week, of who's the last defensive player to win the Don Black Award as the homecoming MVP. It was just a couple of homecomings ago, back in 2018, defensive back uh, safety Jack Richards won it. That was back in 2018. It's been a lot of upperclassmen win the award over time. In fact, before Braden Wright won it in 2019, nine times in a row, it went to a senior. Then, of course, Mike Owens, he won it uh, this past weekend, also a sophomore as he wins the award. Very few times has it been won by a freshman. When was the last time a freshman won the Don Black Award? It has been, and it was in the Mel Churchma era. That's your hint, and uh, and that's going to be it. So we're kind of sticking with the homecoming theme. I'll have the answer at the end of next week's podcast. Again, the last freshman to win the Don Black Award on homecoming. I would encourage you that wherever you listen to this podcast, whatever your your app or the avenue that you uh, listen through, wherever you listen, please subscribe. You know, if you can like it, give it a five-star rating, whatever you can do, all of that stuff helps. I definitely appreciate it. And share the word. Word of mouth is spectacular. And share it on social media. Uh, you know, if the, you know somebody who you think might enjoy it, you know, the, the nice thing about a podcast is that you can go back and listen anytime. And I know these in-season episodes maybe aren't the most conducive to that, although there are portions you can go back and listen to. Um, definitely the player interviews. You know, there's really nothing specific about those, and that is on purpose. And also, the preseason episodes where we just kind of go back, relive some memories. The the really the bonus episode for Missouri Western, that rivalry week episode, where we had a lot of folks, in which is the most listened to episode of this podcast. Also, the Pitt State episode where I have a chat with Coach Mel Churchma, and the bonus episode that was last week of Mel Churchma and I talking about the 2005 team that went into the Hall of Fame last weekend. That's a perfect example of one you can listen to anytime during the season, off-season, and most of the off-season episodes will kind of be like that as well. So anyway, I definitely appreciate uh, appreciate you tuning in. Absolutely, you're, you're the reason this podcast has been as much of a success as it is, and I truly do appreciate that. You can check me out on social media, of course. On Twitter, I am at FroDaddy84. On Facebook, Matt Fro Daniel. You can also email me, bleedinggreen.bearcats at gmail.com. 
And hopefully these kind of in-season episodes of the podcast will continue on well into December. We'll see how the Bearcats can keep it going. It's pretty exciting to see that game last weekend. and got a lot of people fired up, of course, on the road this weekend in Joplin, Missouri Southern, 2 o'clock on Saturday. Would encourage if you're not making the road trip, you can check it out on the Bearcat Radio Network on the public media app from KXCV. You can always check that out. Of course, if you want to pay for it and go on the MIAA Network and, and watch the game that way. And then next weekend, get your keister up to Maryville. It'll be senior day, and we'll be previewing that game next week. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. That's going to do it for another episode of Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel. Go Bearcats!